back. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> Damn, it's been forever. What do what do you keep saying that for? <laughs> Just to give the vibe, man. Might be released like a week apart, you know. Uh, okay. Anything All right, new I see. with you guys? No. <laughs> Still on baby watch. Thirty seconds? No. <laughs> yeah. These are recorded back to back. Nothing's new. Yeah. <laughs> We're rolling. The beer's flowing. I'm in yeah. the zone. We're gonna we're gonna get this done. We're continuing our journey through deaths. Discography. discography. I thought we'd maybe spend five minutes. You know, it's hard not to fucking keep talking about these albums. It is. I know. I know. So good. It really is. And it's hard to not cut everyone off and go listen to what we just talked to either. <laughs> too. What are we doing like on our, this one? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Part. I don't know what we're on. Part sixteen or something of deaths <laughs> episodes. <laughs> we are. Uh, we are up to individual thought patterns, and then we're going to get into symbolic today. Yeah, yeah. And then um, in between them, it'll be a it'll be a quick interview with Andy Larock, who did uh, who played lead nice. on, on this album. And then keep an eye on. Maybe in the future we'll have more from him. We took a little bit off just for this, but and then we'll finish it with. The Atomic Clock himself, Gene Hoagland. But I must say, those are like two banger of interviews yeah, right there. Dude. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, dude. I love it. Both were great. Nice. Both were, yeah, both were really good. Neither are too long. And so, yeah, I think it'll be good. Cool. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. So, we're currently on Individual Thought Patterns, 1993. Steve Giorgio's back. Fuck you. Then we added Gene Hoagland. What? And guest musician Andy LaRock from King Diamond. Fuck yeah. What a lineup. (laughs) I know. What a lineup. I'm curious about this one because, Stan, you said this was the one uh, you spent the least time with throughout the years. It is. So stupid. (laughs) I fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess where where are we ranking this, boys? (laughs) Let me go back and look. Where'd you rank it? This is number deuce, dos for me, uh-huh. number two. Now we're getting to what I would have thought you would have done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is number two, Playboys. Okay, this is number five. I Number four and five, mm. I kind of had it at four, then I switched it with Scream Bloody Gore, but it's it's right there kind of in the middle, you know? I, I really yeah. love this. Okay, I got it at six. Okay, not surprised. Okay, so now listen to six, my clip. But- listen to my clip for overactive imagination and tell me how it's number five and just listen to the vocals very 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 <laughs> carefully listen to listen to the modulation and the anger 
in Chuck's voice. And again, we're one minute into the first song on the fucking album, and again, I'm rare. I'm ready to fucking go. Dude, let's I go see, on it, that. It seriously fell in love. Like no joke. Like one minute dude. in, and I'm like, holy shit! If oh, the rest dude. of the album is anything like this, then we're fucked, boys. <laughs> like, and this, like, literally, this is. I'm sitting there listening. It's like my maybe the third time through. And I'm like, Jason, how the fuck am I supposed to rank this, dude? Like, this is when I started texting you, panicking. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? This album, like. I was wondering which one it was. <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Yeah, dude. I get it, man. I get it. Dude, Gene comes in with those fucking drums. I mean, listen, well, Sean killed it. Sean is, I mean, he's my favorite death drummer, but Gene, I mean, dude, Gene kills it. it. Yeah. Because it has, it has such an old school sound with the kit. Yeah. Everything else sounds so clean and so perfect, but then the drum set, it just sounds... I don't Stan, do you feel what I'm talking about? It sounds kind of like slushy, and it just... I don't know, but it's beautiful, and I love it, and it just, I feel like it meshes so well. So. I kind of do, and I kind of don't. Yeah, the mix is, like, perfect on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Back but in the day, I fucked like, up, boys. I listened to the first three albums, and then never listened to the next two, and then listened to the last one, a shitload. Okay. So, like, before we started doing this episode, this, like, first time listening to individual thought patterns. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, so that's why, I mean, I didn't Fresh. know, you know, I mean, I, I knew death progressed into this direction because of, you know, um, the, the sound of perseverance, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know it was, there was a lot more that came before that. So that's I cool. thought it was all just the first three albums, you know, and then the la- that, you know, the, all, that's how the whole sound was. Which is so, so funny too, because you're, you've always been the biggest tech fan out of all of us. Yeah, and it's, yeah. this is the mo- like, this is the peak of the like pe- the technicality, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I'm not I don't. Saying, I wouldn't. Yeah, not people. I get what you're saying, but no, yeah, well, it's just it's. I I, I do think I here's what I think. I think technicality wise, complexity, mm-hmm. all that shit. I think this is like they go the furthest, and then I think when you get to the next, I don't want to say too much about it, but I think it gets a little less technical, and then the last one gets more progressive. So I think. Yeah, like the, the technicality. There's so much coming at you with like the drums. Steve yeah. is fucking, you know, bubbling all over the place with that bass, well, like in and well, out. Well, I mean, like the, the the vocal track that I had you guys listen to earlier. I don't, we didn't even say anything about mm-hmm. it, but just the way that you know Chuck is modulating his voice and extending, you know, the words. I don't. It's just. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's we hear more and more of him doing that on this album, just fucking around with his voice, saying words in different ways and in, in accuating different things that normally he would have just sang more straight in the past. Good point. So, 
I wanted to say that too about him in general. I think this guy is such an underrated vocal hook creator. Like, yeah, how many songs? I mean, like, even from the first album, like we said, like, yeah, it was just singing this the fucking title, you know, over and over. But then, like you said, you get up to these ones, and you there's these songs like the last one, like Suicide Machine, or like this one, Overactive Imagination. Like, there's like just stuff that gets stuck in your head. Like, he really, I mean, it's like something Dude, that's I, like lacking in death metal today. Like, you don't have someone that like focuses that much on the vocal hook. Yeah. Dude, I was legitimately walking around for three days going jealousy. Like, <laughs> yeah. just saying the word jealousy for like three days going, what the fuck is going on with me? But yeah. like, it was just... And how yeah, many bands do you, do, do you do that with now? You know what I mean? Not yet. No, I, yeah, I I'm agree. I'm not saying there's no bands that do it. I'm just saying like the way that Chuck could craft a song and craft a vocal hook. Like, I mean, a Corpse Grinder, I'll, I will say, you know, like he can do it. Um, a lot of people can do it, but like, man, Chuck really definitely, I feel like that was such a talent of his. And, but I, I think that goes back to why the wife was more able to listen to him. You can clearly hear what he's saying, even though he's doing the growls and the deeps and then the highs, it yeah. still cuts through to where you can sing along with him. Yeah. So I'm glad you put that clip. Cause I had to know, like, that's a good example of like his vocal. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah you know? I mean, cause do, cause that, well, that's the thing is, so listening to it in chronological order, like and that's what I'm trying to say is one minute in I already knew like something is different like what the fuck is going on here because yeah. this does not sound anything like I mean the soloing yeah but not the fucking vocals I was like what is going on here so yeah it's yeah I mean I wish we had more time too because we could have went right into the fucking solo on that song with Andy LaRock <laughs> the one he does on that dude this guy like, okay I got it written right here Andy LaRock is a mad band <laughs> This guy is so fucked up. (laughs) So they talk about in the DVD that he just basically went in and improvised all these solos. Oh, my God. I guess like Chuck sent like because he's obviously from Sweden, like Chuck sent him just like the backing tracks of where he wanted a solo. Mm. He's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Like, he's like, no, I'm just he just flew in. He's like, I'm going to just improvise it. And I guess. I think it was uh, Steve was talking about like he would do it and then he'd go back and like note from note harmonize the whole thing that he just improvised God. like over it and it was just like it, it was the guy's fucking nuts. What a son of a bitch, dude. <laughs> yeah. You can, I mean, and this is one of those albums, like you listen to this one and you know immediately who's doing the solo. Mm-hmm. Like if it's Chuck, you know it. If it's and- if it sounds over the top and fucked up, it's Andy, you know? And a lot of yeah. times they are trading back and forth. Like that one you played, Charlie, that was total Chuck solo. But, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but they really, I mean, it's crazy. You wouldn't think they would work together so well, but like when they trade off, it's fucking great.
that says something about Chuck in general. Like he was able to work with so many different kinds. Yeah. Of musicians so well. Like I get it. Like sometimes you click with someone else. Yeah. But I mean, he has like the a laundry list of like people he was able to do that with. That's a good point, boys. I mean, I seriously love this album so much. Like I'm just <laughs> going through songs right now. Like like just the title track of the album, Individual Thought Pet. That song. I mean. The, the song they made the music video for, The Philosopher, oh, just dude. that song right there, just be like, because you can just sway back and forth when it's on the entire time and then build up enough rage to just destroy the fucking universe if you wanted to. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this album is just next level for me. Dude, I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of there right with you because like I, I slept on this one for a long time. I have checked it out, but like every time I did check it out, it was more I was checking out Andy. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I listened to it for that reason. I wanted to see what he could do, but I never really actually, like, soaked in the whole, like, piece. Right. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, more than spiritual healing. This is, like, the one I'm most excited to go back to and, like, give the time to. It's interesting that you both, for both of you with that, because I, I guess I never even said, but my history with death is, like, is going more for the, I mean, I listened to every everything, but I really clicked into the these last three. And I just okay. remember walking, like in my old house when I lived in Romeo, like li- walking around town, listening to especially this one. I would be playing this one in Symbolic a lot, but something about the bass on this one elevated it. Like, I think this is Steve's hmm. finest moment. Like, uh, Human is great, but you can, he's so much more present on this one. And Dude, it's huge it, text, it's the, uh, probably death the first vibes time there. I, yeah, it's the first time I probably ever, like, really focused on the bass, you know, and like, what he does on this album, it's crazy. And I'm pretty sure, so I read something where he like only practiced with them like twice before he went to the studio. And then he pretty much just fucking did this. Like, mm-hmm. you kidding me? I mean, like you said, started the philosopher. You go to the last couple minutes of that song when it's uh, it's Steve and Chuck y- like soloing yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Well, that's what I was trying to say is I feel like that's where all the influence to have a bass solo or you'll always hear Steve pop those notes every once in a while it just like cuts through the rest of the track yeah uh, and and yeah and I just feel like we I mean we hear it all the time in, in you know technical death metal because they elevate the bass a little bit more but again 93 fucking around just doing whatever they wanted to do and made it sound amazing so yeah. I mean yeah man I mean literally it's from start to finish I mean I could again what's my favorite song every single one of them I mean there's not one song on this album I mean I didn't I couldn't skip forward through anything Trapped in a Corner maybe might be no. my favorite besides oh, the Oh about your favorite oh, I, was, I thought you were saying might be one of the worst I was gonna f- 
no, 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 no. Just trapped in the corner, dude. I <laughs> yeah, wrote it down like the yeah. first minute. Oh, we didn't even talk about like the the, the fucking the tempo speed. changes in it. Oh, and, like, I was the, just going to fucking... say the speed, dude. The speed. <laughs> yeah, but, but even more than just, I mean, oh yeah, 100% the speed and the intensity is just the whole but fucking I know, album. But I get what you're saying though. Yeah, the tempo changes are so, and that's again what I was talking about with the transitions. The transitions, It's yeah. really apparent now how they can just be like on a dime, fuck it, we're doing this. Yeah. But it doesn't sound abrupt. It doesn't make you be like, that's weird. Or like that they're mashing two different songs Mm-mm. together. It just sounds so natural. Yeah. Listen, to, I'll maybe play a clip. The first half of Trapped in a Corner or the first minute and a half or two minutes. It's like, it does like four or five different things in the, yeah. you know, just in that first section. You're just like, what? But it all works. It's all catchy. You know, well, and that's what I'm talking about with the drums on the next couple albums here. It's fucked, dude. Like I've sat down and tried to play some of this shit before, and or like, like was, I guess in the past couple geez. weeks, it's, dude. It's just so it's so goddamn fast, dude. Oh. You're using two hands like most of the time to keep dude, rhythm. Fucked. Yeah, to keep rhythm, you're using two hands. So it's just fucked to have to go back to like actually hitting the beat hit. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's like Stan said, he's fucked. He's so fucked. I don't even have the right <laughs> kit to play the way that he was playing. Motherfucker had two rides and shit, like yeah. whatever. But yeah, it's, again, it's number two. So when you started working with Death, can you just tell me, you know, how did Chuck reach out to you and how did that start? Uh, that was actually through a common friend. That was Monty Connor at Roadrunner or Road Racer Records back in the time. And, uh, you know, we, we were in that company for the first couple of albums and he reached out to Monty and checked, hey, can you please check with Andy if he would be interested in doing something with us, you know? And at that time, this was back in like... I guess late 1992 when they uh, talked to each other and then Monty, you know, called me and asked me if I was interested and we didn't really do anything with King Diamond at that time because uh, we didn't have a record uh, deal and we had some songs for the next album, but no record deal. So, you know, we were just uh, shopping around a bit and I thought, sure, that'll be great to try it out, you know, something very different. And I wasn't too busy with uh, my own stuff at that time, you know, so I said, I'll give it a go. Did you have any hesitations at all, being that it's it's pretty pretty far away from from the King Diamond sound? Exactly. No, I I did not really. I mean, I heard a few songs from Death, and that's about it. But I know that Chuck has been visiting us when we played down in Florida prior to that uh, uh, record thing I did with them, you know, so... And I just said hi to him, and that's about it, you know. But I never really listened to Death that much, you know, before I got into it. Yeah, that that's just cool that you were 
that uh, you know, willing to just go for something so far outside, probably, you know, what yeah, you were exactly. doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, yeah. I was really, you know, into trying something different for a while. You know, and you know, I had the time. You know, so I said to myself, you know, why not? Let's let's do something here. You know, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, so then you agree to do it. Um, how then did you go into deciding? You know, what you wanted to play? Did Chuck send you demos, or did you spend much time on that? Yeah, he sent me a you know a cassette tape, I believe. With uh, that's how you did it back then, you know. It's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> a long time ago, you know. So it's like thirty years ago, man. So it's crazy. <laughs> but um, well, he sent me a cassette tape with uh, the songs and you know indication of the parts where he wanted me to play and all that, you know. So I had a little time to prepare some of this stuff that I had in mind, you know, for, for, um, for the stuff. So I kept that fresh, you know, just a few weeks before I went over, I got that tape, you know, so I, I, I worked on, you know, ideas and stuff, you know, and I had that in my mind, you know, when I came over to, to Florida then, you know. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, that's about it. You know, I mean, um, some parts I had to improvise and some parts were kind of, you know, already kind of composed or laid down, you know, laid out for the parts. Sure, sure. Okay. Did Chuck say anything about how, what he wanted? Was he like, I, I love what you do with King Diamond, just do your thing? Or, or or how did that go? No, I think he just wanted me to do my thing. You know, I, you know, so, so he gave me like total freedom to do whatever, you know, but there was like one song I remember, you know, that, uh, I wasn't really happy with, and I guess they weren't super happy with it either. So they asked me, hey, maybe you could, you know, do something a little different here on this this little section here, you know. So sure, okay, I'm open for everything. So let's work it out, you know, something that's that you are happy with and something that I I am happy with too, you know. So that was just that little part, you know. And uh, you know, they they might have thought that you know this guy, man, it takes a long time in the studio now. But I was used to you know working. Like that with King Diamond, you know, I mm. did not have everything down before I went to the studio. Some parts were just improvisation in the studio, you know, and I tried to be as efficient as possible, you know, but I know that these guys were on a budget too, you know, so, yeah. So, but I think, you know, in the end, you know, everything worked out fine. Oh, um, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, being in the studio doing that, it's a very creative uh, process opposed to playing live where you get one chance you know in the studio you can like redo things and go back and and uh, change uh, things you know if you if you need to did you want to did you want to give your solos a different vibe than what you would normally do or did you kind of just go by feel and what sounded right for the song you know because it sounded a little different than what you do on king diamond sometimes i guess to my ears yeah but that's the, that's of course you know the 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 style of death is very very different mm-hmm. so you know you kind of adapt a little bit to that you know but you still have to keep your own identity um playing the solos you know so but i mean that combination of like you have to adapt a little bit and the style of death just made it sound a little bit different i believe you know yeah that makes sense um wh- one of my favorite ones is on uh, trapped in a corner i don't know that's 30 years ago i don't even know if that uh <laughs> if you remember the parts and stuff like that but that's one where you and chuck kind of in the song trade off like he comes in after you and all that um 
were you, did you guys work out any of that together or was it something where you, you wrote yours and he maybe played off it or, or, or how did that go? You know, to be honest to you, I can't remember that, yeah. you know, but I know <laughs> that people are actually talking about that specific song, you know, trapped in the corner. So I can't remember how we worked that out, to be honest. Yeah, to you. I can't so blame I'm you. <laughs> I got I to gotta listen. I got to listen to that and see if I can remember it when I hear it, you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What did you think of uh, Chuck's playing style overall? Because he, you know, he was more of a songwriter, not so much a, a virtuoso or necessarily a shredder. But um, you know, he he definitely could pull his own. What, what was your uh, impression of his, of his playing? No, I thought it was good. You know, for uh, for that style of music, you know, I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. You know, I mean, and but of course, as you said, you know, mainly he was a great uh, rhythm guitarist and a songwriter. You know, so that's his main thing, I believe. You know, but I mean, I think he made good with his solo too on that album. You know, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys uh, keep in touch anymore after death, uh, after, after your time with that album? We sure did, you know. I mean, uh, uh, whenever we played down in Florida, you know, um, he came down and visited us, you know, for sure, you know. And uh, uh, he came down just a few days after he had like a surgery thing. And it was not very good, you know, but it was great to see him. Um and, you know, he called me every New Year's until, you know, he passed away. Oh, wow. And said, hey, I hope everything is good, you know, and blah, 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 you know. So, so no, that was that was really cool, you know. And, and, you know, of course, the whole thing is very, very sad, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's missed by the metal community. We probably could keep going, but I guess keep going to the next album. Yeah, let's go to the next album because it's a continuation on the thoughts mm-hmm. and, and feelings right. here. 1995, Roadrunner. Oh, oh, real quick, we got to go back album art. Oh. Nothing special, but uh, still liked it a lot. I mean, whatever. Yeah, was, this is this one was kind of whatever. Probably the weakest. I would agree with you. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think so too. But yeah. But it's fine. Yeah. Okay. But the creme de la creme now, boys. 95. <laughs> <laughs> Symbolic. the Roadrunner. Yeah. Dean comes back. Yes. Then two people I never even heard of. Yeah. But Bobby Cobley and... Yeah. Who's the bassist? Kelly Kanyon? Yeah. 
Kelly Conlon. Conlon. Yeah, me and Stan both fucked that up real bad. <laughs> yeah. You guys can you can go wiki it and look it up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, where'd you guys rank it first? Number fucking one. I knew it. I knew it. Num- number number fucking. I had one. a feeling. That's crazy. Yeah, dude. I got it at five. Okay, dude. I got it at Just seven. Just because I was really into seven, it today. Like seven, I think seven. Okay. Dude. Yeah, dude. I get that. I get that. <laughs> Seven, bro. Yeah, but I mean, I I'm feel bad, but I mean, I do have it there. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, I can, each any other own. day, any other day, I think I would have individual thought patterns over this, but I was just really into this one today. Okay, Dude, so it I does put it one day step. Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this is a weird one. Yeah, Dude, so it's so amazing. I'll be honest with you guys, I've never, I never listened to this album. Yeah, I did before this discography. Really? Yes. Are you kidding me? It was just one of those ones I never got to. Crystal I, Mountain, you never fucking heard that? Was that? Uh, no. Crystal Mountain, you never heard that song? Nope. Wow. Nope. Uh, maybe maybe the song. I, yeah. No. That's I, cool, I though, man. <laughs> so yeah, you got no, initial impressions. Dude, it was awesome. <laughs> I could really see myself getting into this in the future. Yes. I mean, I, th- I, I don't know if I could put it like one, like shoddy, but this could easily be four, like three, four. I just need time with it. Well, I mean, you guys both love melodic shit, and I think this yes, is number why, one exactly. for melody. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's why I was absolutely loving it, but yeah. <laughs> Shoddy, why is it number one? Because of exactly what you said, dude. The, the <laughs> melody is there. The fucking, it's, it has the technical elements, but it doesn't just berate you in the face with speed the entire time. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. I mean, from start to finish... It's just an amazing album to me. I mean, uh, I mean, what do you want? What do you want to talk about? I mean, the <laughs> clips that I made for this are a Crystal Mountain from the demo uh, of the re-release, just to highlight the speed. I mean, the song was already fast, and then when you listen to how fast they were playing it in the demo, I don't know who the fuck thought that was a good idea, but <laughs> I would. I mean, I do. So yeah, I mean, well, I literally could have made a, a clip for every single song on here. Uh, but yeah, "Sacred Serenity" was another one that I really liked, just oh, because yeah. it really highlighted a lot of the melody. Yes, um, we should listen to that one. Yeah. I had that written down too because I really yeah, liked oh, that too. Okay. I mean, the build up into the melody and then that just fucking intro. It's just, 
It, it personally sounds like something out of a Mega Man game. Like the <laughs> level starting, it's just, it, uh, yeah. it just, it has just that, cl- and the tone is just so beautiful. And so I just, I don't know, man. This album, legitimately from start to finish, is another one that I couldn't. It kept going back and forth between symbolic and individual thought patterns. I legitimately just kept looping those two albums for mm-hmm. days because I couldn't get enough of them. So. Yeah, I mean, don't um, get me wrong, too, because I really do love this one. It, I guess why I put it a little bit lower was because if I have to pick between this and the last one, I do like the intensity of the last one. Whereas with this one, I kind of put it on more when I'm like less, I don't want to say dude, less in a metal mood, but maybe less in a death metal mood. Like it's it's kind of like easy well, this, listening. You know? the, even, even individual thought patterns still has, it kind of has that human-ish like part where it's just, it's still got death metal. But, yeah, as a backbone, but it, it it's really different. But this one, I feel like it is like death metal is gone. It's gone, pretty much. Yeah, it's really? metal. It's like metal. It's like melodic metal. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's melodic death metal then. Yes. Okay. But like I the, still the definitely raw... hear the metal in all of the songs. So oh, I'm, absolutely. I'm, okay. Yeah. It's heavy. I'm not saying it's not, but I agree. With, I would agree with that for sure. I don't. Like I was gonna I ask know. you guys, like, is it still death metal? I I don't really think so. I mean, yeah, like you could say melodic death metal for sure, I guess, but I don't know, dude. I think it still is. I mean, you listen I mean, to I'm interviews listening. with Chuck from the time, and he's like, he didn't even want it to be. He was just like, this is metal. Like, it's just. I mean, he, you know, whatever. You don't have to classify it, anyways. You know, I'm, I'm right now. I'm having zero tolerance for the words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> 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 uh, but I'm I mean, sorry. I get what you're saying, though, because I guess that's kind of some of the issue that I have it's, with the next it's album. It's almost kind of sad, like a like a era is just like kind of ended in this album. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it, I, it brought on, don't get me wrong, it brought on mm-hmm. a lot of really good stuff, but it's like they completely left that out. But yeah, I mean, I know, and I, I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, I just really, really, really like it. So I mean, it's I good. totally it's, get why you, you know what I mean? I can see like a lot of people love this as number one. I totally get it. It's like one of the best written albums, like song wise, I mean. You know, Again, it's got yeah, a bunch of big songs. The songwriting, dude, is amazing from start to finish. Like, yeah. But I get it. It isn't. I mean, look. I mean, compare this album to fucking Scream Bloody Gore. Listen to that <laughs> first, and then listen to this. Yeah. It's legitimately fucking yin and yang. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's not the same oh, shit anymore. Oh yeah. But dude, like when you put it on and fucking symbolic comes on immediately, and it's that huge riff, like right from the yeah. start. Like, mm-hmm. how do you not get into that? You know what I mean? I yeah. The opening riff. I mean, that's, and that's the cool thing about it. I feel like there is just, everything's kind of bigger on this album, like minus the brutality. Like it's got big, bigger riffs, more anthemic, you know, and, and then just Even way just, more melody and catchiness. Dude, uh, but the, the mix I mean, itself yeah. is just big sounding, wall sounding. Mm-hmm. Big wall sounding. I completely agree. I mean, I, really, I honestly, the lyrics I really like the me. mix on this one. Yeah. Which is a different, uh, it's Jim Morrison on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Same studio, but different producer. Yeah. And I really like this one even more. I think I like this one more than the next one. But this one just kind of a little bit more sounding wise. It's a little bit more aggressive and it kind of keeps it. The other one's like too clean, but we'll get into it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's again, I was trying. I was I said a little bit ago. I mean, that's some of the cleanness and the, the progression is some of the issues that I have with the next one, which is the reason why. I mean, people can figure out now where it is on the list. But yeah. But yeah, I don't but, know. I mean, I still feel like this has a bunch of fucking hard parts, though. Oh I mean, yeah, I'm yeah, it does. Going through right it now, does. like okay, 
All right. I mean, like, the empty one, words, one, dude, when it keeps coming back like, to the chugging part after it. Like, I mean, I love I mean, that. It's, it's just a thousand eyes. Yeah. I mean, the, the melodies in a thousand eyes are just. It's. Well, that's amazing. what I would say. The, the, honestly, the lyrics on this album stick out. I think the most. Mm. I mean, it has it has some of the some of the catchier hooks. I feel like that mm-hmm. that I do find myself again walking around saying, you know, one thousand eyes multiple times. So, so symbolic I mean, but, texts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. The clo- I think Perennial Quest maybe might be my favorite track on it. I don't know. It's such a good ender. And I think when you think about the fact that this was supposed to be the last death album, like the fact that it makes sense, dude. Yeah, like this, the way that track ends out, it's super somber. It goes into that like what acoustic or at least clean section or whatever. It's like beautiful, you know, it's eight minutes long and it's got these really cool melodic like catchy riffs in it. Again, not much, not intense, not super death metal, but just like really good. Love that. Yeah. Ending. Yep. 
you know? And it would have been a perfect way to kind of end the whole, like, death thing. Obviously, it didn't end there, but uh, I know it was supposed to be the last one. Yeah. But I, like I said... I guess... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I I guess let's talk about the last one then, but if you have something else to say... Uh, The only thing I was going to say is, if you like Synthwave, make sure you go listen. There's a Synthwave cover of this whole album. (laughs) Oh, shit. I don't remember the name of it now, but if you look up, like, Synthwave... Uh, what's this album called? I'm gonna Symbolic. write this down. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does the whole thing, <laughs> and it's really cool. Especially Perennial Quest, like that song is sick. So if you like Synthwave, you're, it's good. But yeah, we yeah, yeah. this is a one the last thing. Like I, out of listening to this whole thing, this is the album I want to go back and pick up a guitar and learn some songs from. <laughs> I could oh, that. dude, I know I'm right there with you, Stan. Yeah, I want to play like, so much of this with you, man. That's it was. This was probably the most fun album out of all of them. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't listen to it before, man. I know, I know. That's this, this is sure. why I love doing this stuff, and I love telling people telling me, "Okay, you're going to be doing this for the next month." <laughs> yeah, I just wish Steve was on it. I guess that's my biggest complaint. Where yeah, did Steve go. But he anyways. was the uh, this one. I believe he was gonna, but he had like other obligations. Mm, I think okay. Steve was the only one that never got kicked out of death. Right. Just, <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did Gene get kicked out, or did he leave? He, mm. no, I think he left. Okay. Well, speaking of that, no, no, no. There was a, there was some other situation where I believe don't they go played. Into, don't go into it. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> supposedly we'll have a Gene interview that okay. we'll put in right now. If not, then we will just keep talking. <laughs> okay. But it's supposed to be this week, so we'll see. I know I heard that you you knew Chuck earlier on, um, or you had been in communication with him. Like when, 
did you first talk to Chuck? Boy, we used to be uh, pen pals back in the old uh, tape trading days. So, you know, we had we had exchanged a, a number of letters way back in the day. And we actually met for the first time in person was uh, back in in about October or so of 1986. Um, we. Dark Angel played a show at the Whiskey, and Randy Burns, who had produced Darkness Descends, he had Chuck and Chris Reifert in town, and he gave one of us a call, said, hey, man, I got the guys from Death in town, you know, we want to come down to the show, so that was real cool, and so, you know, got to meet Chuck in person, and that was, that was very cool, man, we had a good time. Cool, cool. So, you know, I, like I said, I talked to some of the other guys from the earlier, you know, versions of the band, you know, telling me the story of when when they were touring with with you guys and Dark Angel and how that all came, you know, to a head and, and, and that tour was done. So how did you go from that interaction with Chuck to then getting into the band? Because it seems kind of funny, you know, to have that and then to be asked to be in the band. Well, um, in about September of 1992, Dark Angel was kind of in the state of just sort of like not necessarily dissolving, but I was going to be moving, moving on. And uh, I had spoken with with Borovoy Kurgan about uh, my guitarist from Dark Angel at the time, Chris McCarthy and myself. We were going to just start a new project, start kind of fresh. Ron from Dark Angel had just retired from the music industry so um that's kind of why i was like okay well let me try something new and fresh here so uh i had reached out to borovoy and because he he knows everybody and so borovoy was starting to put some uh some demo tapes together for me with vocalists and uh you know check out this guy check out that guy and then i got a call from borovoy saying i just got off the phone with chuck and he's you know you're looking for a band he's looking for a drummer would you be interested in talking to him and i was like Absolutely. You know, it's been it's been two, two and a half, three years since we had our, you know, it was rather acrimonious, like I've mentioned <laughs> in the past. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we, you know, Borovoy had given me his number. He's like, yeah, man, give Chuck a call, man. He's waiting on your call. Chuck and I spoke and we just kind of just picked up the last cool conversation that we had had before it had all gone down. And, uh, you know, talking metal and talking about this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where it's like, hey, man, let's let's see what we can do here. So that it things just transposed from there. OK. Transpired okay. from there, I guess. Yeah. So you did you have to do any type of trying out or he just knew you were a good fit? Oh, yeah. No, I just I yeah. He, he knew my drumming. So he was like, let me send you a he sent me a tape like, you know, that same day. And within a few days that tape arrived it was just a riff tape i checked it out and we just kept on moving forward you know all of a sudden a plane flight was booked and let's do this and let's get working on this next record so yeah so that's kind of how that went down so he sends you this tape were you were you following death you know throughout each album at that point when you heard this and oh absolutely yeah, yeah i still love death you know yeah I, human was amazing how what a fantastic album that was and sean reiner's playing on it you know that set a new level for some serious metallic drumming so uh 
Yeah, man, I got. I remember hearing "Human" for the first time about a year before Chuck and I were speaking. I heard it at a at a party, and I just remember sitting there listening to the entire album. There was a dude sitting on the other side of the couch there, and I turned and I said to the dude, "I was like, holy moly, God, I'm glad I'll never play for this band." <laughs> <laughs> you know, after hearing after hearing "Human," because I was like, "Man, there's some superhuman drumming on this thing." And sure enough, a year later, I'm out there jamming with Chuck. We're playing songs from Human. I learned a bunch of bunch of material just to, so we'd have something to, so Chuck would have a gauge of what I'm able to do. And you know, Chuck always told me he's like, "Man, I, you don't have to consider Human in your, you know, Sean's drumming at all. You know, do you bring what you feel like bringing to this material?" And I was like, well, I, "I love what Sean did, and I love playing." prog and and you know hybriding hybrids of of styles so if you're cool with me keeping in the sean sort of vein he's like absolutely man just go sick go nuts do you be you and i'm sure i'll i'll dig whatever you do and that's kind of how it turned out yeah wow so what uh, when he sent you those first demos how different was that from what you know you guys ended up putting together when you started getting together in person? Well, I got to admit, man, I was, when I was waiting for the demos, I was thinking, man, you know, Chuck and myself, like, especially after Human, we are about to create this just savage piece of brutality. This is going <laughs> to be this psychotic sounding record. And then I got the riff tape and I'm like, very interesting. Boy, this is, this, this material is not quite as savage as as human was and a lot of the songs were based very high up on the neck like a lot of the the high e stuff was played in you know seventh position on the a and the d string Mm. a lot of riffs were up there and so uh when we got back to chuck's place after he had picked me up from the airport i i was explaining to him was like you know one way that's going to really help me learn this material is if i just play all of it with you just teach it all to me on guitar and then i'll really pick up the little nuances and places where i think accents should be going and that kind of thing and as we were jamming the riffs and like i say there were all all of them were very very up high i was like hey chuck you ever thought about you know taking your taking your hands down to the you know, first fret area kind of thing and transposing some of these riffs, be like really down low and making them a little more, you know, heavy. And he's like, Oh, I didn't even think of that. I like the way that sounds. So kick ass idea. Cool. Now we got, now we have new arrangements to these songs, you know, new, new approach. So Chuck seemed to enjoy that new approach. And so that's how we carried on with the material. And we put the album together in about three weeks, which at that time, for me, I just thought that was superhuman. You know, like, wow, we put this album together in three weeks. Holy moly, we're a couple of champions here. <laughs> now to get three weeks to <laughs> put an album together, God, that's 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 a you know, right? That's sometimes you you do not get that, you know. So yeah. uh, so there you go. But yeah, man, it, it came together pretty quick, and that's we cool. Got the whole shebang together pretty pretty quickly that's pretty cool though you know that you were able to think about it like that and i know when you were in dark angel you were a big riff writer so i'm sure just having that background you know 
with the guitar, it's got to help with drumming. And, and like you said, knowing where to place arrangements and do what to emphasize a guitar part, you know, I mean, how much thought did you put into things like that? Like, I think from from Sean and Human on, that's such a big part of those death albums is Chuck always has great riffs, but man, they get elevated by the drummers that come from Human on, you know, you three drummers just, you know, so how much thought did you put into that? And do you think that being able to, uh, you know, write riffs and, and have a good guitar knowledge helped in that process a lot? Absolutely. You know, I've always explained to any any musician, it's always it's always good to, you know, have a knowledge of other instruments so you can converse on your guitarist's level or your bassist's level or your vocalist level. You know, learn how to sing kind of thing. So yeah, it, it, it's a it's a huge help I find, and I did put a lot of thought into the drums. Like even before I came out, you know, I had all I had was just riffs to work with. So uh, I I constructed the entirety of the album's drum parts. I constructed them in my head. So by the time I sat on the kit the very first time, which was the day after I arrived in Orlando. I had the tunes pretty well together and a lot of that just came from, you know, I, I do most of my writing mentally, you know, I've, mm. I've, I've preached for years and years that drums are, you know, 90% mental, 10% physical, you know, if you can think it in your brain, you can, you can play it, mm. you know, if you can in, envision yourself playing this drum part, you know, just in your in your mental drum air drum kit there. Yeah, man, when you when you get to the kit, you've already got your parts worked out in your mind. So it's just a matter of putting putting the phys- physicalness to it, the physiognomy or something. Yeah. maybe. So, yeah, man. So by the time we started jamming, the songs were already in a in a pretty decent place. So so that's pretty cool. That's uh, that's cool. I've heard that from, you know, like professional sports you know, I, I can think of like snowboarders or, or whatever that will say they do that same process where they'll be sitting there in their bed or whatever and just visualize landing a certain trick or something like that. So there's got to be something to that, man. That's pretty cool. Well, I tell you, I had no idea what the concept of visualization was. I've always heard the term, but I'm like, oh, man, that's some, <laughs> that's some hippie new age kind of thing yeah. there. But when I explain to people how I do what I do, they're like, dude, that is visualization. You know, that is the <laughs> textbook example of it. I was like, oh, I had no idea. So I guess I'm I'm a practitioner of visualization. You know, I can just I see myself playing the parts and then I go play those parts. Yeah. Well, the mind is a powerful thing. That's for sure. That's cool. Darn tune. Um, OK, so then then you've got Steve, one of the best uh basis out there what was the dy- dynamic like with you and steve you know with the rhythm section of that band i mean wh- that's some of my favorite bass playing right there was that stuff that was written on the spot were you guys jamming that stuff out or how did that kind of um process come together with you guys well when i originally went out to to chucks he had another bassist involved and that was the bassist uh who did the the human tour with him and uh, his name was Scott Carino. And for whatever reason, you know, Chuck came to me and said, I am going to go with Stevie D on this record. I'm going to let Scott know. And so that's how that transpired. 
So that was kind of relatively late in the game. So Stevie D came out right before we started tracking the drums for it. And he jammed along with us a little bit. And what, what everybody did is they sent Steve back home to California with my drums, my completed drums. And then Steve was able to write his parts along to my completed drums. So mm. that's how things were able to get as precise as they were. So that was, that was a great way to do it, especially bringing, bringing Steve in so late to it. It gave him a, you know, a month or so while Chuck was uh, tracking guitars and putting vocals down. I believe the bass was probably one of the final elements added to the album. So um, yeah, Steve had a qu quite a bit of time to work out some kick-ass parts and created a pretty legendary bass concept with it you know using the fretless and yeah all of that i mean how cool was that man? oh man it's what drew me to it in the beginning yeah i just love that how hit you know you can it's one of the first times i ever heard bass in metal sounding like that and, and actually you know demanding your attention and I, yeah i just love it i love the way that it works so well with the drums and, and with chuck everything just moves around each other so so well yeah so well, that's the uh, that's my one Absolutely. thing is, is so you know what was the reason that he didn't play on Symbol because I know he comes back again you know later for Control Denied so I know it wasn't like a, or I don't think it was like a falling out or something like that but I think it was kind of scheduling more than anything mm. because Steve by the time we were doing Symbolic Steve had a another little one on the way. Mm. And they were kind of looking at like the release date and tour date of Symbolic. And Steve was like, I have a feeling I'm going to be in dad mode right around then. So I don't know if I can make some of those initial tours. And Chuck felt like it is just better that, you know, I, I, I would like the guy who who plays on the record to be the bassist for the live stuff. And, you know, cause Chuck was pretty well known for having some, some lineup changes throughout the years. Yeah. And, um, and Chuck was like, just to kind of hedge my bets, I got to find somebody that can do both. And so that's how Kelly Conlon came in and Kelly Conlon, that man had a, a large challenge placed in front of him because that happened pretty late in the game as well for him. And so he had to come in and create from, from scratch, you know, things that, that Stevie D had worked on for months, you know, cause yeah. Steve, Stevie D was, he was a part of every element of symbolic, the writing, all of it, except the actual recording. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that's why symbolic to me is very much a Steve DiGiorgio record. And, and so, but it just kind of worked out that Steve didn't play on it. And Kelly Conlon did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you know, Chuck, Chuck and Steve were best friends. You know, I mean, I, I seriously think that Steve was Chuck's best friend through all of the ups and downs that Chuck had had in his life, you know, for, well well over a decade you know so close close to two that yeah. i i really believe that steve steve de was the closest person to chuck you know yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah being around right there till the end and everything but 
Yeah. And from the very beginning, you know, from when Chuck had moved out to the West Coast and, you know, I'm surprised DVD didn't play on Scream Bloody Gore, you know, because he knew Chuck then and he was hanging with Chuck before Scream Bloody Gore. And I don't know. I don't know anything about how that transpired, but uh, yeah, you're right. But, I think Paul yeah, mentioned I that too. Paul Masvidal. Yeah, man, I would not have been surprised to see Steve on Scream Bloody Gore. Right. Absolutely, that would have been cool. But <laughs> um, that's right. So then, so yeah, so symbolic. Uh, you know, we're talking about that. So you come, you're coming from. You know, you've already written this other album with Chuck. Now you've probably got a nice established relationship, some tours. So once it came time to work on that one, was it a lot? easier to know what was going on or was it still kind of like well now we've got this different you know chuck's doing this something different again so now i have to kind of figure out how i need to shift for that well there was there was a slight bit of that element because you know chuck's riffs were becoming more of kind of a traditional metal approach um and even through Albums like Human and and Individual and, and Symbolic and, and Sounds of Perseverance, Chuck's riffs were relatively, you know, they were very understandable. You know, Chuck wasn't writing prog music, but the drum, the rhythm section aspects of what Death's music were was evolving into, the rhythm section aspects of that were creating the elements of technicality i suppose yeah um and that's just you know a whole bunch of drummers freaking out and losing their minds on the <laughs> drums you know yeah. and, but if you notice chuck's riffs are very very understandable very gettable and when chuck had was starting to go into an even more i guess melodic form of writing i thought well heck man just play some lead drums over everything, you know, just yeah. make your drums a lead instrument on this thing. And, and Chuck was always like, dude, what you're playing is killer. I can play all my riffs over it. So don't worry about nothing. Keep doing what you do. And it's really fun on the drums. You know, you're, you're creating some really fun drumming here and I'm able to lock in with everything you're doing. So and so with with albums like Symbolic, that's where I really did try to capture little little essences of, of accents with the guitar. And I got to just kind of freak out. And did I overplay on Symbolic? I I completely feel like I did. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I, I could have simplified a few things and not just been. Yeah, I've, I've always referred to my nickname on Symbolic is I should have been called Phil All Gaps. Because. <laughs> Man, there's just nothing where it's like, God, Mr. Drummer, just sit back a little bit and let things just kind of simmer on their own. You know, you don't have to play every single beat and every single piece of drum hardware that you have at every moment. Just so. But I, hey, man, I was young and I, I was just doing what I thought sounded cool. But go. But yeah, Symbolic was we got a lot more time to work on Symbolic individual it was it was tight you know three weeks ish to get it all together and symbolic we had a number of months like i, I want to say something like nine months oh wow you know, seven eight months i spent a lot of time at chuck's in orlando and we just kept riding from the ground floor up you know he had a couple of he had a few riffs and things like that and we just kept working and and that's why i think symbolic 
I've always explained it this way, that it has kind of a more settled in feeling. Um, individual sounds really rushed and manic and yeah, yeah. listen to these guys are just going psycho, but symbolic just had a little more settling in, you know, mm-hmm. the songs just had a little more space to breathe slightly. So I think that came from really getting to know the songs very, very well by the time we went into tracking. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. I've got a, a, a buddy, he's a listener of the show. He sent me a couple questions he wanted me to ask. I wanted to throw this in there because it kind of fits with what we're talking about right now. Um, he had said, you know, with the move to Roadrunner, was there any effort on Chuck's part to kind of want to go that route too with it being a major label? Or did the label say, you know, did they have any input towards that? Or was it just Chuck's trajectory regardless? Well, I suppose, you know, I mean, Roadrunner at that time was still an independent, you know, they were a major independent, but, you know, Chuck, it was very well noted that, you know, Chuck and the music industry, they had an interesting relationship. You know, Chuck had a, Chuck had a definite distrust for the music industry. And so when he moved to Roadrunner, he he had concerns, but it was more his like Roadrunner never said anything about the material at all. Mm. They were like, with death, you do what you want. You know, that that's nothing. <clears throat> but Chuck always wanted to make sure that he was represented, that death's death as a brand, death as Chuck, death as its own style was represented properly and i believe that was his main concern with roadrunner like he's like i'm trying to write music from my heart and if other death metal bands like the grindiest of all the grindy death metal bands if they're writing music from their heart kick ass but i'm writing music from my heart and Mm -hmm. my heart does not exactly stand in the same place currently that it did eight nine ten years ago when i'm writing you know the scream bloody gore material so so i'd like to be represented in a way that pays respect to the music currently and you know kind of just don't lump us in with all the other death metal bands on on roadrunners roster just please keep us on the individualized standpoint of it and that is something I'm not sure that uh, both entities were able to agree sure. upon at the towards the end. So, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. Did he ever talk to you about uh, control denied at that point, or was that a little bit later? Nope. I mean, I was there when Chuck broke up the band on tour, broke up Death on tour, and it was directly over something that occurred between he and the label and he's like i'd it was kind of the essence i'd rather fall on my own sword than continue in a relationship like this and so chuck had always always brought up the fact he he was he was no fan of his own vocal style (laughs) right you know he was always like god i wish i could i wish i wish i could have a singer in death I can't do that. You know, that would, you know, delegitimize any of, you know, I, I, I just can't do that, but I would love to be in a band someday where 
I just play guitar. I got a great singer like, you know, like a Bruce Dickinson, a Warrell Dane, a Jeff Tate, uh, you know, because uh, Chuck was so into vocals. He loved Dio. He loved Halford, you know, all the traditional metal gods. Chuck was super into and he's like, I wish I could be in a project like that. And so I think after he, uh, no pun intended, pulled the plug on death, <laughs> I think it was a natural, natural, just uh, conversion into my next project. I just want to play guitar. I'm going to have a kick-ass metallic vocalist. I know he wanted Warrell Dane. That was yeah. his favorite singer. <clears throat> and Warrell was great and everybody got along. I'm, I'm not sure what happened there, but. He ended up grabbing, you know, a local musician named Tim Amar from the Orlando area and Control Denied was born. And so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Was it was it awkward at all then? Like when when then death did kind of come back, even though like, the, you know, with the whole different lineup or was it just kind of like whatever, because it wasn't intended to be death in the beginning. And then, it you know, it's kind of the offshoot of Control Denied in a way. Well, that was the thing was. I only know what I used to read in the metal pages, you know, the metal, the metal online fanzines about why Sounds of Perseverance was created. I believe there was something about there was some kind of contractual obligation somewhere that if Chuck wanted to get out from underneath the, the banner of death, he owed somebody one more record. But don't quote me on that. And, you know, we the I recognized a ton of material on, on sound of perseverance. Cause when we completed some, by the time we, by the time symbolic, by the time we hit the road with symbolic, you know, usually it takes about six months from the end of recording to, you know, the album getting released and hitting the road and all that sort of stuff. We spent more time together and we wrote about six songs and, you know, Chuck was writing, constantly and uh, and that's why when i heard sound of perseverance the first time i was like hey man i i recognize a lot of these riffs you know yeah. and so so there you go and he was I, I i do believe that you know by the time sound of perseverance was getting put together and he had you know a very localized band you know the, the orlando area band put together for control denied and i think that was just probably easier hey guys we can jam anytime we want you know like yeah we can hang out anytime we want. We don't have to book plane flights and clear schedules and all that stuff. Just everybody's in town. So that's why I believe that the sound of perseverance lineup was what it was, you know, he's already guys he's working with and, yeah. and guys that are just in town and it makes it real darn easy to toss jams and, you know, get to know your new bandmates, that kind of thing. So natural evolution, I would say. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, just to finish then, I, what about uh, maybe just Chuck on a on a personal level? You know, we all kind of know him from the music side. We've heard the drama type stuff that, that has happened with some of the members or some of the, you know, venue or record label type stuff. Um, what I guess is something that maybe people don't necessarily think of about Chuck that maybe someone like you or who's only somebody who has, you know, played with him for an extended period of time or spent time with him, you know, that you would say about Chuck and maybe just on a personal level. Well, you know, I've always explained that, you know, Chuck was a very complicated person. He would have his good days and he would have his bad days. And but at the heart of everything, Chuck was a very gentle man. He was a gentle dude. Like 
he loved his animals. You know, he would constantly say, man, people suck. Animals rule, <laughs> you know, and he was very happy working in his garden, cranking some metal. You know, he loved spending time with his family. He loved to cook and he was a great chef, you know, like Chuck was, you know, he was just, he was a pretty regular person and through all the, you know, a lot, a, a lot of ways people knew Chuck was through the press and like I was saying, you know, canceled tours and disgruntled ex members and all of that. But still at the end of the day, you know, Chuck, you know, Chuck was, he was, he was not afraid to defend himself, but he was just a pretty gentle guy generally, you know, yeah. like he, he was complicated. He had, like I said, he, he'd have his good days and his bad days, but, uh, on the bad days, you just kind of let the man alone and work through his issues and, you know, just kind of give the guy some space. I'm, I'm real good at that. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, last one. I know you guys just did the death to all in Europe tour. It's been a while since it's been in the States. You guys think you'll be doing any more of that in the, in the U S absolutely. Yeah, man. We're just waiting on schedules. Right. on. You know, like we're, we're happy to keep moving forward, but we are all busy AF. And my 2023 is already psychotic. So uh, that's we're going to try to jab in what we can, where we can, when we can. You right know, on. and we've got we got three of our members whose schedules are, are pretty crazy. So uh, we have to be able to move forward in a way that, that we can all make, you know, all in, in a way that we can all make these schedules. So. Uh, but we definitely have some plans for 2023 and I'm hoping I, I, I see, I do not see why they would not include an American run of some sort schedules permitting. So there you go. Right on. I mean, I've got dark angel on the go. I've got death clock on the go. I've got some other projects for next year that are going to take up a whole lot of time. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, it's, it's first come first serve. So, yeah, you know, everybody, let's, let's jump on the Oakland uh, schedule <laughs> and start battening stuff down because of my schedule is psycho already. Right. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I mean, I appreciate it. If there's anything that you want to, you know, promote or if there's anything right now that you need people to check out, listen to, or whatever, you know, go ahead and, and, and plug it. Well, you know what, you know, I mean, there's, I've been involved in this superfood company called high on life superfoods. And if people want to go check that out, you know, I'm, I, I've been a big, I've been a big health advocate over the last few number of years. And I've lost a crap load of weight over the years. And a lot of the way I do that is through eating healthy and, uh, high on life superfoods is a, that's my superfood of choice, you know? So people want to check that out, man. That's cool. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I might have to check that out myself. I, I value that kind of stuff. So that's cool. I had no idea you were involved with that. Yeah, man. So that's, that's a, that's a fun, you know, I, I'm just in training to be able to do this deep into my seventies. I've mentioned that a time or two and you know, I'm, I'm in training, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm going to be like wielding it and bringing it in my seventies. It's not going to be like some, Oh, that's adorable. He still plays some <laughs> drum. No, I'm going to be like just at the top of my game in right. my I'm 54 now and I'm playing better than I have ever. So yeah, hell yeah, that it's all helpful. Totally. So, 
Awesome, man. Well, yeah, cool. Well, everybody check that out. And uh, I know you got a million projects always that we're all uh, always watching. So, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the all the good info, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. Thanks for the thanks for the platform. Thanks for the time and best of luck to you, my friend. (laughs) 